you're tuned in to the Eye on Global Politics radio show. Coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley. Broadcasting around the world on eyeonglobalpolitics.com. Here's your host for the next hour, Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. And welcome to Eye on Global Politics Radio, broadcasting from the Willamette Valley on the west coast of the United States. Thank you so much for joining me on this Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. And there's a lot going on in the world, but what I really want to talk about starting today, right now, starting off our show, is a little philosophy behind what's going on in the world. And I was reading an article in America Magazine uh, by, her name is Cecilia Gonzalez-Andrew. And it was talking about the decline in church attendance and church membership in the United States. Of course, that's happening in the Western world, in France and in Western Europe. And she's exploring reasons for why that is happening in the West, and in in the United States, in this case in particular. She went over a survey, and one of the groups that was most apt to talk about the world, the problems of the world and society, and willing to have uncomfortable political conversations in the survey was the African-American church. And she goes a bit into the historical reasons for that, the oppression and and religion as a driver for social justice, Martin Luther King Jr., and other religious figures in the African-American community that help uplift the gospel message and link it to civil rights, which obviously there's a direct linkage there with human rights and human dignity. It's what the gospel message is all about, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, a fellow image bearer of God. It's all about human dignity. But she goes further and she details uh, some things that people feeling, young people especially, being left out of not feeling inspired is what I got from it. She says, so many young people in our world are longing for an invitation to go into the streets ready to right these wrongs. In this desire, aren't they sharing in Jesus's ministry and acting in Christ's power for others? Does our collective inaction in the face of so much suffering communicate that as a church We don't know who this Christ we proclaim really is, that we have not taken this message to heart. And she has a couple passages in there where she details scripture, where she references scripture. So let us imagine Jesus and his friends actually in our midst right now. What would their reaction be to our current era? Would their hearts break because we are running out of clean water? Jesus Christ, water of life, have mercy on us. Would they knock over the tables of our skyscraper temples to profit? Would they be scandalized that rather than feeding the 5,000, Matthew 14, 13 to 21, some of us hoard every fish and loaf of bread while the 4,999 starve? Jesus Christ, bread of life, have mercy on us. How loudly might they weep for the millions without access to health care or education or a living wage? Jesus Christ, light of the world, have mercy on us. 
How could they make sense of a world where we seem willing to give up our freedom to think, make moral judgments, and create so that something we call artificial intelligence can do the work for us, where bombs rain down on the innocent, children are gunned down in schools, and strangers are turned away in their suffering? Jesus Christ, wisdom of God, grant us peace. And she also talks about linking the early Christian community and, and, and the church today. And in just thinking about this, of course, this is as a Catholic and a practicing Catholic my entire life, and also an activist, peace activist, social justice activist my entire adult life, I've never seen a disconnect between the church and that social action, that praxis, that social action, faith put into action. And this is why. I've seen plenty of hypocrisy. I've seen complacency. I've seen talk to conservative clergy that don't see that message in the same light. I've talked to conservative Christians, conservative Catholics that I've always seen as a a putting their political ideology before the radical message of the gospel. I've known the history of what so-called Christians have done to Native Americans and have made war and carried a Bible in one hand and a sword in the other hand to oppress people and discriminate based on race, based on class, based on gender, based on hierarchy, privilege of wealth, to dominate markets, to dominate other human beings, and to discard the human dignity. I've known that all, but this is the thing. If you look at some of the most famous saints, St. Francis, for instance, and you look at their lives and their philosophy and the things that were going on in their lifetimes, for instance, St. Francis and the Crusades. When St. Francis went before the Pope and he was originally dragged out and then brought back in and the Pope thanked him for reminding him of his original call before it got mired down in bureaucracy. What St. Francis knew and and other saints and what other people that really are in touch with the Christian faith, the faith of uh, our Catholic Church, of Christianity in general, is that the Church does not belong to these people, does not belong to those that pervert the will of God, the message of Christ. It does not belong to those clergy that in the church that have abused their power, have done criminal acts, and that's in any population, whether it's in the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, the atheist population, there are perverts or pedophiles or in any population. So it's it's not a Christian, Catholic, or Jewish, or Muslim. There, there are uh, a, a percentage of people that are not living up to civilized standards in any one of those populations. But the message, main message is that anybody perverting the will of God, human beings, whether they're inside the church, outside the church, the church, the Catholic church, in in this instance, does not belong to them. It belongs to God. And this is why you have time and time again throughout the ages, great saints, great people, really in touch with the Word of God, with the gospel message, living out the gospel message. St. Anthony of Padua, St. Francis, 
and other great saints. And I, I don't know that when looking at this uh, article about the lack of action by the church institution, as far as the American Catholic Church, because Pope Francis, quite frankly, has been very progressive and has said some very radical things in line with the gospel message and has uplifted the gospel message. But when it comes to those in the local community, the domestic church, not fulfilling the gospel message or not going out of their way to be an institution for the least of these, then that has happened within institutions throughout history. But I don't quite know if that is the reason why you have young people not turning up to church or turning away from belonging to the church. And that's what I want to think through today. Why is there in the West a turning away from church institutions, from, from religion, organized religion, from God in that sense? And I think it's, it has to do with these young people or people in general are being steered to and have been steered to another religion. And I think that religion is consumerism. If you don't call it a religion, you call it idolatry. The almighty dollar. Because when I was in college and an activist and a very vocal, vocal activist out there on the front lines, there was apathy then. And during the Vietnam War, decades before my my college days, you had a draft. And that spoke directly to the self-interest of a lot of people. And so when they took the draft away, they took a reason away to really get involved for a lot of people. I mean, there's there's more complexities to that. But there's an element of intense self-interest individualism in this society that goes against the grain of the gospel message. As the gospel says, you cannot serve both money and God. You'd be a, a slave to one, or you cannot serve both mammon and God. I think that's what is at the root of a lot of this turning away. It's certainly not happening in, in Latin America. It's certainly not happening in the global South because church attendance and church membership has gone up in the global South and has gone down in Western Europe and in, in this case with young people in the United States, which this article details. So I think there's a level of idolatry in the society that's worshiping money, that's worshiping consumerism. And you can see the dissatisfaction within society with all the mental health issues, with all the depression, with all the drug dependency, with the turning to violence and the violence in the media everywhere. Everywhere. It's ubiquitous. The The dissatisfaction in society is because people are searching for something greater than themselves, for purpose. And that purpose is not found in narrow self-interest. It's not found in consumerism, buying things that you don't need or things that you need that actually don't bring any fulfillment. It's found in community and it's found in in God and, and recognizing that divinity, that that dignity, that image-bearing of God and other human beings. In the international relations sphere, in the 60s, they said that religion would wither away, that it was... You had all these theories that came about 
after World War II, and they developed into the 50s and 60s, and and you had neorealism come about with Kenneth Waltz, and they tried to make uh, human beings into automatons, into machines where you could judge them like a pack of wolves. You could judge their actions and forget the humanity of it. And maybe that's a precursor for the AI, artificial intelligence. I don't know. We can go more into that later. But they said that religion would wither and would become a non-factor in the coming decades. And quite the opposite happened. And some of these noted scholars had to retract their statement later, decades later. And religion boomed and became even more influential in the world of international relations. And so religion is always there, will always be there, because it's a logical fact. And let's break that down right now. It's a logical fact that we are created as something different. We are different from the other animals. We have rational thinking. We have emotions and free will to try to create our own destiny. Sometimes that's for good or sometimes that's for ill. But we are different from the other animals in that sense, or from other creatures created by God in that sense. As image bearers of God, we're here with a purpose in life. And there are these laws around us, the laws of logic. The fact that right now we can depend on gravity still being here an hour from now, a day from now. The fact that the laws of non-contradiction, the fact that we're able to make intelligent sense and arguments and think through and have basic arguments that are even intelligible, that adhere to the laws of logic, mean that there are unseen forces, that not everything is material in life. So there are abstract non-material aspects in life that we must acknowledge. And then you go to the aspects of where we came from and all the miracles along the way and the benchmarkers along the way. You have, going backwards, you have miracles in Fatima. In the spring of 1917, in the countryside of Fatima, Portugal, the Blessed Virgin Mary first started appearing to three young shepherd kids. Lucia dos Santos, Francisco and Jacinta Mato each day had to take care of a flock of sheep owned by their family. One day, as they were looking after their sheep, they suddenly saw a bright flash of something like lightning, followed quickly by another flash in the clear blue sky. They looked up and they saw a lady clothed in white, brighter than the sun, radiating a light more clear and intense than a crystal cup filled with sparkling water lit by burning sunlight. She said, Continue to come here every month. In October, I will tell you who I am and what I want, and I will perform a miracle for all to see and believe. Lucia wanted to keep this apparition a secret, but Jacinta, the one who is known to be more talkative, could not keep this secret and told her family when she got home. Now, as the word on the street grew of the Blessed Mary Ever Virgin appearing to the three young kids, naturally, not many believed them. But the thing was, every time they got interrogated, the stories matched up perfectly and they seemed to be telling the truth. A great curiosity grew amongst the people, and they were waiting for the day of October the 13th, when Mary, 
said she would perform a miracle. On the eve of the 13th, a huge storm washed over the mountain country of Fatima, but despite this, tens of thousands of people made their way to the Kova, where Our Lady said she would perform the miracle. When the 13th day had come, the weather turned bad again, and heavy rain started to fall. Again, Mary appeared to Lucia, Francisco and Jacinta. Lucia asked, what do you want? She said, I want to tell you that a chapel is to be built here in my honour. I am the Lady of the Rosary. Continue always to pray the Rosary every day. The war is going to end and the soldiers will soon return to their homes. And as Lucia explained, Mary then got very sad and said, Do not offend the Lord our God any more, because he is already so much offended. Then, opening her hands, she made them reflect on the sun, and as she ascended, the reflection of her own light continued to be projected on the sun itself. After she disappeared, the people then witnessed the great miracle which had been predicted. The miracle which is known today as the miracle of the sun. The dark rain clouds broke and the sun appeared as a spinning disc in the sky. It was said to be significantly duller than normal and to cast multicolored lights across the landscape, the people and the surrounding clouds. The sun was then reported to have sped towards the earth before zigzagging back to its normal position. Witnesses reported that their previously wet clothes became suddenly and completely dry, as well as the wet and muddy ground that had been previously soaked because of the rain that had been falling. One of the eyewitnesses, Dominic Reis, later said they looked as though they had just come back from the cleaners. The miracle is reported to have been seen from as far as 15 to 25 miles away, thus ruling out the possibility of any type of collective hallucination or mass hypnotism. Doubters and skeptics of the kids' apparitions and of Catholicism had now become believers. From Catholic 365, you have miracles in Lord, you have miracles of incorrupt bodies, you have near-death experiences one after the other, thousands and thousands of near-death experiences, and you have, you have the ultimate revelation of Jesus Christ and 500 people witnessing his resurrection. And you ask, how can people still behave and still reject the notion of God either in their actions or in their directly, with all that evidence, with all that evidence. And I was looking at a, a, a discussion about Fatima recently, and there was someone trying to grapple with the fact that the people had been soaking wet in Portugal, and the sun came out of the sky and dried up everything, puddles and clothes, instantaneously. And physics would say that, I mean, have you ever put a soaking wet shirt into a dryer, how long that takes? To dry something instantaneously like that would have resulted in incinerating everybody based on physics. So they tried to grapple with that, the skeptics club, and say that, well, it wasn't it really wasn't that wet or it maybe even drizzling, but they're Numerous eyewitness accounts have said it was there were puddles, it was soaking wet. 
And the sun came out of the sky and 70,000 people witnessed it. And even people that weren't even there in, in the town, skeptics, witnessed it. And it turned Portugal from an atheistic country to a very Catholic country. And the very fact is that God could come out of the clouds and show his face. And there will still be people that will try to make an excuse and deny the fact that we're made in the image of God and that God created us. And want to believe that we came from bacteria and fish into thinking, loving, feeling human beings. And there's just so much evidence for for God entering into humanity. Anybody that goes down that road will highly likely to come to a conclusion that, that God has entered into humanity and there's no other way of thinking about it. But the fact that we put these beliefs, these skeptics, on the same level playing field in society, in this society as, as those acknowledging the basic truth of God and his presence in our lives, and I think it really def- defies logic because there's so much evidence just that people do not want to go down that road. They don't want to go down that road to, to find the truth because what happens is you go down that road to find the truth and you really discover and you really know with all your heart that you you are a child made in the image of God. That that entails a change in lifestyle. If one is living according to their own precepts, that entails a radical change in behavior for some, because that entails consequences for how you live your life. That's really what it comes down to. It's not that people don't know the truth in their heart, and I think these quote unquote skeptics know the truth in their heart because they often appeal to that truth and mask in a different language. This is right. This is wrong. Uh, my rights, my human rights, this and that. And that can only come about from a moral framework where you're appealing to the dignity that you have as a human being. You're saying, I, I deserve this as a human being. Why, as a descendant of bacteria or a fish, you, would you deserve anything? Why would genocide matter at all if you were an evolved piece of bacteria? Why would the Holocaust matter at all if it was just a bunch of bacteria, descendants of bacteria, wiping out other descendants of bacteria? It, it matters because it's a, an affront to God. We are made in the image and likeness of God, and we're image bearers, and so we know right off our bat in our heart that this is wrong. When we see innocent children killed, and we know without anyone telling us that this is wrong. And that comes from natural law, from imprinted on our hearts. People want to take that, that natural feeling that they have in themselves, say this is right and this is wrong, a sense of morality, and put it somewhere else. And put its origins somewhere else and try to say, well, if, take John Rawls, if, there's a veil of ignorance and everybody disregarded their privilege and their, their sense of self. Well, then we could all come to agreement based on what's right for me is right for you. And we could all have a sense of morality. Well, that's taking an assumption that just does not exist in reality. There are plenty of people that if you go up to them, leaders of barbaric leaders and say, well, you just get rid of your privilege. They know that, well, I can do this because I've got power human power, and 
I want to oppress and kill because I can get away with it, and I think I can get away with it. Napoleon thought he could invade Russia and get away with it. Hitler thought he could take over the world and get away with it. So it's these secular ideas of morality always have these assumptions built into them that are unrealistic, that are unrealistic. Because they don't want to go a step further and investigate who they are as human beings. And I think that is at the root cause of a lot of the problems, and it extends to people who quote-unquote are religious people as well. Because religion then becomes a social club for some of these people as quote-unquote Christians that are denying and discriminating immigrants at the border when it clearly states in the gospel to welcome the stranger. Stranger being in the Greek, interchangeable with the word immigrant or foreigner. Going to take a break and we'll be right back. Don't go away.
And thank you for joining me on the Ion Global Politics Radio Show. I'm Paul F.J. Ronis. We're back here talking about religion and politics today, about the idolatry of consumerism, about the turning away from too many in society from the basic facts of God's presence in our lives. And it's showing in the amount of depression in this society, the amount of drug addiction, the amount of violence. And what we need is a society, a radical transformation away from the idolatry of consumerism to the reverence for human dignity and seeing the image of God in everyone. And, you know, that has not been the case throughout, down through history. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came to to earth and with that powerful message of, of love, of neighbor, and they crucified him. They crucified him. And so one can ask, well, if they crucified Christ, how are we going to do anything? Well, the apostles went out there. They were cowardly, uh, shaking in a room when when Jesus was taken. Many of them were shaking in a room, cowardly, when Jesus was taken to be crucified. And the Holy Spirit came down upon them, and they went out into the world to proclaim the message of Christ, the, the gospel message, without fear, with, with love in their hearts, and died some of the most horrific deaths known to man, crucified upside down, St. Peter, thrown into boiling oil, uh, dismembered, but they did it with love. They went out there and proclaimed the gospel message with love in their hearts, and knowing that this life is not the end of of existence. And, and I was reading Houston Smith not too long ago, and he does a good job of taking each religion and breaking it down to the core essence of, of what that religion means. And he talked about those early apostles, those apostles that, that went out into the world to proclaim the, the gospel message, and what attracted so many people to them. Here you have people that were no longer afraid of death. They had seen the resurrected Christ. So all fear of death went out. They were infused with the Holy Spirit, so they had this joy about them and a love of others, so this overwhelming love, so this charisma, and they shed their egos, which shed their egos. You can't be filled with ego if you're exuding love. So anytime you have human beings that have lost all fear of death, that have seen the other side, that know that, that there is eternal life, and have lost their ego, have lost their egos, and are consumed with love, love of their neighbor. Whoa, well, talk about charisma. Talk about being attracted to a, a message, to, uh, to the Spirit. Well, this is the reason why they went out to the world and people drew to them, and the religion grew, of course, over, over time. But these apostles who were cowardly, Afraid, naturally, they're human beings. They were afraid. The Roman Empire, they didn't want to be crucified, a horrific death nailed to a cross. 
or die some other horrific death. And then having these apostles radically change so much so that they were willing to go out there one after the other and risk their lives to proclaim the message of Christ, to, to risk their lives and to die in some of the most horrific ways. And this being attested, you know, people think that religion, that Christianity, historical Christianity is somehow going on word of mouth or faith. You know, the 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 New Testament is the most credible ancient manuscript that we have. More credible than Plato, more copies, 5,800 some odd copies in the original Greek and other languages, 5,800 in the Greek alone, written within decades of the events, as opposed to look at Plato, where it's minuscule, the amount of copies. And yet people take for granted Julius Caesar, they take for historical granted as, uh, you know, Plato or Socrates, and there's no problem in the, in the philosophy department speaking of Socrates or, or Julius Caesar in the history department or Alexander the Great or any of these ancient figures as historical and, and real and to take their writings or their, their stories on face value. And yet you have the message of Jesus Christ who entered this world and is attested over and over again with original copies and original manuscripts the reliability of these manuscripts is insurmountable. And archaeologists, literary experts, historians know this. And they, they know that. There was a story where a man was debating a skeptic of humanities, of, of literature. And he, he was the skeptic. And, and the skeptic basically said, if you can attest to the New Testament, I will stop teaching the ancient literature, ancient humanities. And another head of the department said, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> don't. He interrupted, interjected, and said, please, please, don't do that. He didn't want his colleague to, obviously ignorant in this respect, colleague to throw his career away or, or look like a fool with that statement because that man, the head of the department, knew the immense reliability and the historical evidence for the New Testament documents. And so, you know, you have a situation in the world today where I think this needs to be, you can't take religion and say that it's a, especially Christianity, and say it's somehow someone's belief that is just with no evidence, it's just on faith alone. Faith is important, and faith is the foundation. The faith, the grace of God to come down into one's life. It says in the Bible that your faith is, Faith is the foundation, and you'll know my followers by their fruit. By the fruit, you'll know my followers. So that people with faith, have that faith, that grace that that comes down upon them, will bear good fruit. And this other faith, this dead faith that doesn't bear fruit, is is a dead faith. It doesn't bear the, the fruit. And that just means that's people that are proclaiming to be Christian while engaging in atrocities, while engaging in uh, degrading other human beings, that's not coming from a place of faith. So, but faith and actions are both important, are both important because you can have people with good actions. And there are many people that act more Christian that, that aren't Christian than those who pr- proclaim to be Christian. But I think when it comes from the grace of God coming down, it comes from the right motive. And it's 
enduring. It has a longer lasting effect because it's radically changed people's hearts. Well, there are motives to being an activist out of ego, getting your name in the paper, or even people things that people don't realize that they're doing, that they, they want attention. But when it truly comes from recognizing the divinity in each other, recognizing that we are all made in the image and likeness of God, and there's a deeper spiritual element to this issue, well, well, and that ego is not involved, you're dealing with a whole different level of transformation, a transformative power. You're dealing with a whole level of a transformative power that can radically alter a society, a community. And I think everything in our Western society, Western world, is in the name of secularism. Secularity is a good idea because it, we don't want to go back to a point where Protestants and Catholics or different denominations are harming each other, killing each other, wars of religion, things like that. But secularism became in a religion unto itself, where it tried to push basic facts, basic facts about our humanity, about God and his intervention in the world, tried to push that off into the private sphere and say, look, that doesn't belong in the public sphere. And I think that's to the detriment of society, and we've seen that. We've seen that because what happened is we have a an idolatry, another religion, that bubbled up in its place. And that religion's all about consumerism. That religion is all about individualism and, and self-centeredness and the almighty dollar, profit-making on the backs of people, profit-making irrespective of what the product is. How many films in Hollywood have, are made for money? No redeeming value. Gratuitous violence. Gratuitous sex. Foul language for no reason. Because studios want to make money. They want to appeal to the most bottom-level thinking. The depraved kind of thinking that's really bottom-dwelling in our society. And they want to bring that out and spread that in our society. Why? To make money. They want to make money. They want that religion, that idolatry to, to spread. And they bow down to the almighty dollar. More, more, more. Greed, greed, greed. The early church fathers knew that when you hoard things, when you hoard things, you're not just depriving uh, the poor from, from a basic standard of living. You're stealing from the poor. St. Basil, St. John of Christodom, they wrote about these things, that you're actually stealing from the poor when you hoard. Do you need two mansions? Do you need four or five cars? Well, society is telling you that's okay, that's capitalism. There's nothing wrong with it. What are you, a communist, they'll say? Well, look at the early apostles. They, they held everything in common, each according to his need, each according to his ability. They, well, yes, that mirrors the economic philosophy of Marx. Yeah, there is a similarity there. But communism tried to do it by force and tried to spread wealth by force. And Christianity is saying, do it voluntarily. Because those are your brothers and do it with love 
in your heart because those are your fellow image bearers of God and to not hoard things you don't need. Whatever you want to call it, people label it communism or this and that. No, it's basic Christian values based on the New Testament. Read the New Testament. Read it word for word. And it's, like I said, hermeneutics. You have to interpret a lot of scripture. You have to interpret it for context, for times. But these basic precepts of how you treat others and hoarding wealth, there's no misinterpreting it. It's word for word, whether it's 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years from now or, or in the present day, it's, it'll mean the same thing. There's no misinterpreting that message. I think this idea of idolatry is of consumerism, of, of making capitalism a religion, is at the root of a lot of issues in the society because it's, it has tried to replace spirituality, God, and the gospel message. And our job is to push back on that and say, with love, saying, no, no, we are made in the image of God and we, we reject that philosophy, that philosophy of greed and power and ego. And we accept the message of Christ Jesus. We accept the message of Christ Jesus and the gospel message where human dignity is at the foundation of our political philosophy and societal philosophy. We're out of time. Thanks so much for joining me today. If you have any comments or questions, please get in touch and give me a voice message at one 871 paul That's 7285, the last four digits. Or drop me an email at comments at ionglobalpolitics.com. Have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday, and I'll see you and talk to you on Friday at 12 o'clock. And as always, keep the faith. Each and every soul to make the bell
Tuned into Eye on Global Politics Radio, coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley, broadcasting around the world on eyeonglobalpolitics.com. 